Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. This week we're going to get back to our series in uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, been great so far, been learning heaps as I think and read and pray each week and look at the next passage or chapter we're going to go through. So um, today, again, is a bit of a challenging day as well as we look at this chapter, chapter 13. But before we start there, hey, if you, if you read the history books on the morality of Western governments, I think, I think you'd have to come away thinking that morally in Western governments we are changing. What we think is right or wrong has changed over the years and the decades, particularly with Western culture and Western governments. Now, some of this change where what was we originally thought was wrong that is now right, some of this change, some people will think, well, we are wiser for that. We are much wiser than those who went before us. We've actually, we're enlightened. We're much better off for it. We, we know more than what they knew maybe decades ago. Others would say, with this sort of moral decline or moral change, no. No, actually, we're losing a hold of our moral absolutes. What we took as absolute, we've, we've lost our moorings to what is right and to what is wrong. It's a bit like we're a ship. We're a ship that's lost its power, lost its engine, and also its anchor, and we are drifting aimlessly on the ocean of the loudest voice whether it's right or wrong doesn't make any difference it's the loudest voice it's where we sort of drift towards as a western culture or western democracy so we're going to see today that in and amongst all of that is satan who's the unseen force who's influencing and using governing authorities particularly in western culture but all governing authorities to carry out his deceptive hateful plans towards humanity Revelation 13, guys, let's open up to that and let me read that for us now. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have had a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marvelled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. 
Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege today to come and open up this intriguing chapter of your inspired word. Uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, we probably have many, many thoughts and many, many ideas what's happening here. We ask and pray now as we just begin to think through this that you would open up our hearts and minds to help us see what you wanted to communicate through this chapter. Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Righto, there's an there's a, um, interesting chapter, isn't it? Plenty of things happening there, beasts and dragons and all sorts of stuff there. Um, r- really, we are still in the very thick of what we call apocalyptic language here in chapter 13 where we see all that. Uh, some pretty crazy weird stuff there in that chapter. There's a couple of beasts, one has seven heads and ten horns and the other beast has two horns. Actually, chapter 12 and chapter 13 go hand in hand. That's why I sent that email out Friday to, to get in the zone. You need to read both chapters to understand what's happening in this chapter. If you just read this chapter on its own, it doesn't make much sense, but you connect it with the other chapter and you see what's happening in there. In chapter 12, previous to this one, we see the dragon seeking to destroy Jesus Christ, the Messiah in that chapter. He fails to kill Jesus. And now the dragon, Satan, is furious furious. Satan now sets out to destroy the church, that is the people of Jesus, uh, in that rage that he's on. And he's venting all of his rage towards the people of Jesus, stopping at nothing to cause as much harm and destruction as he possibly can with the very short time that he has left on this earth. That's where we left chapter 12. Now that might all sound to you, if you're here for the very first time, a bit far-fetched. Dragons, horns, beasts, Satan. It's not far-fetched. It really isn't far-fetched. Every one of us has a voice inside of us that says, I think there really is something out there that's way bigger than us. Every one of us has this quiet voice, I think there is something way bigger out there that's way bigger than us. And it sort of seems right that there's this battle between good and evil. Just about every movie you get comes out of Hollywood, there's some sort of plot line where it's good and evil and they're hoping good overcomes evil at the end. It's right that it's like that. There's something that, that sort of ticks our boxes when we think that way. Now, in chapter 13, we, what we see here, Satan begins to employ his tools, as it were, to carry out his anger. 
Satan is way smarter than we can ever think. He's incredibly intelligent, more than anything we could possibly think of in the world. So he doesn't launch himself directly in front of us, because that would be too easy to see him then. He's way more deceptive than that. He uses more subtle means to maximise his evil deceptions. Here's our big idea today where we're going to land as we go through this. It's this. God has called a people to himself who will endure faithfully through all the satanic inspired deceptions of this world as they walk closely with Christ. Right, let's launch into chapter 13. At the end of chapter 12, we've, we have Satan, as it were, standing on the seashore, metaphorically, in this rage about because he's just failed to kill Jesus. And at the beginning of chapter 13, uh, we see a beast, as it were, rising up out of the sea where Satan is. He's standing on the seashore. Now, this, John sees this vision of this beast rising up out of, the, uh, out of the sea. The first beast here that we see in chapter 13 is the servant of of Satan. Have a look in verse 2, he says this, and the beast that I saw, this is John's vision, the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Now look at the next bit, and to it, the beast, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. So the dragon, Satan, is now actually giving his allowed powers and throne and authority to this beast ultimately to use for satan's purposes here which is ultimately to cause as much harm and destruction as he can uh, in this short time that he has left so i guess the really big question here is this as we read that who is this beast that john sees who is this beast here that john talks about in this chapter I think a lot of people are thinking, well, who is this that John's talking about? I'm convinced that the beast that John talks about here in this chapter is the Roman Empire in his day. That's who John is talking about in this particular section. Have a look in verse 7. He says this, This beast is given authority over all tribes, peoples, nations and languages. That's what the beast has got. That sounds like a ruling or governing empire, doesn't it, when you see that? Given all this authority over peoples, tribes, languages, nations. For the people that John is writing to, these people in the seven churches around Asia Minor, Rome is a beast towards them, towards these followers of Jesus. Ruthlessly crushing and tearing them apart simply for following Jesus, like a beast would. Rome doesn't care about Jesus. All Rome cares about is Rome. It's not about Christ. It's not about his people. It's all about what's good for Rome and how they can grow their empire and crush their enemies. In fact, Jesus' people, the followers of Christ, are just a disruption to Roman culture. They're not going to fall into line with the culture of the day and join in with them. You're actually disrupting our culture. You're not going to be part of us. You're not going to worship the Roman emperor as a god. You're actually going against what we're doing as a culture. And think about it. Governing, or power, uh, governing authorities, as we know them, wield tremendous power and authority. They do. Uh, they make the laws of the land and they very much determine the direction of the culture through their structures or through their regulations or through their laws. Now, if you think about this from Satan's perspective, wouldn't governing authorities be the prime object of Satan 
to corrupt and to destroy people. If he can actually get in at the top and begin to infiltrate that all the way down through society, well, then he can cause as much destruction as he likes there. Of course, that is the right, that is the place where he would go. Government holds the power and the authority. They set the direction of which way the culture goes. He can influence that and that influences the rest of culture. So, Satan in his evil, corrupted ways works through governing authorities to carry out his God-opposing ways. That's the beast here that John is seeing. Think about history. Think about Rome right then. Rome carried out wholesale persecution and murder of Christians and anybody else who didn't fall into line with their ways. There was no second chances with Rome. You were just either fed to the lions or you were just murdered on the spot. Think about the last hundred years, the way some governing authorities or evil dictatorships have risen up and done huge atrocities. Go back to the Second World War. Who did we see there? Adolf Hitler killed millions of people carrying out his evil agenda. Uh, Stalin from Russia, about a similar time, he murdered millions of his own people throughout the land of Russia, not because they wouldn't fall into his communistic ways. Well, we've only got to go back about 50 years ago, think about Cambodia and an evil dictator there called Pol Pot and his communism, he murdered millions of people as well. These governing authorities that rise up and are used and influenced by Satan. And just go back maybe about 25 or 26 years ago, we have a genocide in our own lifetime in Rwanda in 1994. In a hundred days, they, expect, they think about 800,000 people were killed. That's 8,000 people a day murdered by an evil regime that had come into power. This is what history tells us. We see this used by Satan. He has no idea when Jesus is going to return to shut him down. So what he's doing in the meantime is always working through evil leaders or evil governments or dictatorships to cause as much mayhem and destruction as he can, trying to disrupt what God is doing, trying to offset his people. It's like Satan is raising up these beasts in multiple ways to cause this corruption of God's order, to break it down, to stop what God is doing. Western governments, who we are under a Western democracy here, uh, who once held the foundation of Christian principles in their laws and now rolling over to godless laws even in our own country. Think of Western democracy, it actually is built on Christian principles and Christian foundation from the Westminster Confession. If you go back and study it, you'll see that. It's built on Christian morality. But it's not there now. Think of our own Victorian government that have multiple laws now that are anti-God. Anti-God. In our own state, we have abortion laws, euthanasia laws. Uh, We have teaching gender transition in our primary schools as well. This government's introducing Uh, They have laws against counselling people who are experiencing gender dysphoria where you can't actually give them counsel to maybe give them another alternative to think about. Currently, it's illegal for anyone who may offer counsel someone who comes to you and says, I'm struggling with my gender identity. 
if, you're to, if someone's to come to you now and you offer to pray with them, to say, hey, I'm going to ask God to help you to accept your biological birth gender, you actually can go get uh, serious fines or if taken further, you can go to jail for that. That's the current laws in Victoria as of February 2022 this year. Moving away from Christian principles. So what's John saying here? These governments, they're like a beast. It's like a beast in the hands of Satan, carrying out his deceptive plans and purposes. Satan has this deceptive influence over these governing authorities, drawing them towards his agenda that opposes God, little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, closer and closer and closer. Now, are all governments, are all governments out and out evil through and through? Are they all like that? Do they all, do they contribute any good to this world? Well, of course, not all governments are out and out evil through and through. They contribute a lots of good to the communities where we live in. So let's not get the wrong impression here about that it's, the whole thing's a shamozzle. But, but there are those some who are totally corrupted, totally corrupted, and hence we have these evil dictatorships and regimes that we've seen around the world. Try and be a Christian in North Korea. Try and be a Christian in Afghanistan or North Africa, in some of the North African countries now. Just try and live out your faith in those countries. You won't last very long. If you come out openly and actively as a believer, you'll basically be killed in those countries. Have a look in verse 7. We, we actually see there what some of these, uh, what the beast is allowed to do, or these governing authorities are allowed to do. It says, also it was it, the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That will be the purpose of some of these influences that Satan puts upon these governing authorities. Now, all those who don't follow Jesus, who aren't followers of Christ, they generally see the governing authority as a good thing. The general norm of the committee, it's a good thing, it's actually helping to deliver what I want to satisfy my life with. Now, they actually worship the beast or they actually fall in line very easily with the government because you're actually doing things that help me achieve my purposes. Have a look at Revelation 13, 4. It says there what they do. And they, this is the people on the, in the, the rest of the world, and they worship the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Our governing authority is big and powerful. They might be saying that in Russia right now. We can go where we like and do as we please. We can just stomp on anybody. Nobody can stop us. We can achieve what we want to achieve. I don't think everybody in Russia is thinking that, but I'm sure some will be thinking like that. Again, uh, this is part of Satan's deception over the world. If the government caters, if the governing authorities cater for my personal agenda and rules in my favour, we might just think they're the ant's pants. We just might think that's great. That's exactly what I want. I want someone who do something that'll help feather my nest, help me achieve my whatever in life, my self-centered dreams. The world will actually follow along and fall in line with that. Well, that's the first beast that we see there in Revelation 13. It's like this governing authority that Satan is influencing here to carry out his purposes. 
John mentions here a second beast in chapter 13 as well. In verse 11 there, it actually says he sees another beast, as it were, begin to rise up out of the earth. The first one's, first one's out of the sea and the second one's out of the earth. And this has a lamb-like appearance, but it speaks like a dragon. John's again telling it there's deception here. It looks nice, but it speaks like a dragon. It speaks deceptively. And we can see from verse 12 that this second beast, he's employed, or this is employed, uh, to point people towards the first beast. You know what John's saying here. The second beast actually serves to point people towards the first beast. Who's the second beast that John's talking about here? Well, for John's day, it's probably the imperial priesthood who were employed by the Roman Empire, who carried out all the Roman emperor worship, pointing people to worship the Caesar to worship the emperor, to worship the ruler of the empire. Follow Caesar as your God. He's the one who deliver all your dreams and your peace and prosperity that you're wanting as a community and culture. Pointing people away from God towards governing authorities, deceptive governing authorities, evil governing authorities. Now, in our day, we don't actually have the imperial priesthood, but the second beast for us could be any secondary institution or organisation or even a false religion for that matter that is sort of boldly supporting the government's evil ways. Now, I'm not about to name any here, so don't sort of get too, you know, as you get, no, I'm not going to do that. But could be any secondary institution or organisation that's actually pushing people or supporting what the main government's doing in their evil agenda, helping them to carry out this evil agenda. The second beast here in Revelation 13 has one agenda, causing and leading people to worship and put their trust in the first beast. Look at what this governing authority is doing. This is the one we must follow. They're all the ones who, who supply all of your dreams and meet all of your needs. Right, let's just put a full stop there as we think about those two beasts. Let's stop here and understand what is the Christian response to government or governing authorities? or ruling um, uh, regimes. The Christian response to government, broadly speaking, is supportive. Is supportive. Governments are put in place by God according to Romans 13. We won't look at it now, but you can go back to Romans 13. You'll see the governments are put in place by God. And the New Testament clearly tells us that we are to pray for and to submit to governing authorities in a general sense. That is the thrust of how we deal with governments. Pray for them, support them. So, a wrong response, a wrong response to this chapter would be to think that all governing authorities are some sort of demon-possessed crazies. Influenced by Satan, we believe that, but it would be the wrong response to say, no, they're all just demon-possessed crazies. That is the wrong response, that somehow every politician or governing authority is under some sort of direct influence of Satan and they are, they are devising all sorts of evil plans, deceptive plans, and what we need to do is go around them and start casting demons out of our Prime Minister or our Premiers or our Treasurers or whatever. That would be the wrong response here. And I'm sure John doesn't want us to go down that pathway and see government just like that. That's not what he wants us to do. A takeaway here from this chapter is to think really carefully about our governments and what they're doing. To think really carefully about our governments and the policies that they are making and the laws they are introducing. 
not just to accept them blasé, not just to accept them without thinking through them. The takeaway would be here, knowing that Satan is actually working through these as his instruments, think carefully. What are, they, what, are they, what are their policies? What are their laws? Why are they doing that? We shouldn't be, at, we, sorry, we should, we shouldn't be shocked by anti-Christian laws or attitudes. We're actually being told here, this is where Satan works. Also, we should have Christian members in governing authorities helping to provide salt and light into those very uh, arenas where our laws are made. We should be supporting Christian uh, men or women who are in Parliament, praying for them, encouraging them, helping them to actually stand up and be the voice of salt and light in those situations. But when they cross the line, which governments do sometimes cross the line, we need to carefully, sensitively, truthfully and firmly protest the laws where they go against God's law. We must do that. That's to call upon us as believers, to do it carefully, sensitively, truthfully and firmly. Now, if you want to go back to the website, you can see some more detailed talks on Romans. We did that last year. But there is a time when we need to cross the line and do that. Sometimes they do. Uh, They cross the line into godless authority and we don't bow down to godless demands. Have a look here at what the second beast does in uh, verse 15. The beast says, the second beast says, if you don't worship the big beast... Uh, you'll be killed. That's obviously crossing the line. And then in verses 16 and 17, it says, you can't do business in this world unless you have the mark of the beast on you. You can't trade, you can't do anything. Everybody will have to receive that mark. And then in verse 18, we're told that the number or the mark of that beast is 666. I'm sure I've got everybody's attention now by bringing up those couple of verses. I've heard of this 666 before. What is this all about? Uh, This chapter and probably verses 16 to 18 have been the most difficult to understand in all of Revelation. There's been discussion and debate over this, not just over the last few decades, not just over the last few centuries, but over the last two millennia. There's been discussion, what does this mean? What is this mark? What is 666? And let's be real, we're not about to solve the mystery this morning, okay? We're not about to solve that mystery this morning. Um, As I read earlier this week, Irenaeus, an early church father, writing only just 100 years after John's letter written here in Revelation... He couldn't tell the people back then what John meant by 666. That's only 100 years after this letter is written. And here we are another 1,800, 1,900 years later. I don't think we're going to be ever further advanced than what Irenaeus was back in AD 200. Here's how I'd encourage you to understand what's happening here in verses 16. I don't want you to just walk away and think, well, I've got no idea, so let's just leave it in the too hard basket. No, I want to give you something to think about, but not forgetting also that we said right back at the start, uh, end-time teaching is are, are like secondary issues when it comes to the gospel. We can sit there with an open hand and hold them somewhat loosely. You might think differently. It's not a closed-handed first-order gospel doctrine how you might approach end-time theology. But here's how I'd encourage you to think about these verses. 
what is the marking here that John talks about? You know, something on the right hand or, or something on the forehead. It could be a tattooed number because that's how it sort of reads. But I think highly unlikely that's what John means here when he says that. I don't think he means a tattoo on the wrist or a tattoo on the forehead. Because if you say tattooed, well, that's what it says. Well, you're saying, I'm taking literally what John means here. Literally. It must be a tattoo and it must be a tattoo. It's got to be that. Well, if that's the case, that you're going to take that literally and believe that, which you could if you wanted to, then the beast must literally have ten horns and seven heads. Because you can't pick and choose what you'll take literally and what you won't take literally. You either take it all literally or you don't take it literally. You've got to understand what apocalyptic literature is saying here. So I don't think it's a tattoo. I don't think, so I'm not being categoric there. The marking, I think, will be some sort of identification. It may be an ID card, it may be a social security number, it may be some sort of electronic device that will indicate that you belong to the beast, that you don't belong to Christ, that you belong to this evil governing authority. It'll be some sort of identification, whatever that might be. Now, I'm not even going to try and speculate, as it were, on the marking or the number that it is. The beast or the government will issue something. It'll be something that identifies you as belonging to them and not belonging to Christ. And without it, without having this identification, whatever it may be, without this, you cannot conduct business. You can't buy or sell. You can't do anything because you're not part of the world system at that time. Your livelihood will be shut down. Now, here's what I don't think John wants us to do. I'm saying, hey, that's, what I, that's how I look at those verses myself. I don't think John wants us to spend our time here trying to work out whether it's a tattoo or it's an electronic device. John doesn't want us to sort of do all sorts of, you know, um, mental gymnastics in our mind trying to work out, is it a tattoo or is it an electronic device? John doesn't want us to do that. John also doesn't want us to work out whether the mark is a 666 or it's a barcode. You might say, why a barcode? Because people have been sending me images. I think 666 has arrived because I saw this barcode and it's up to 666. People have been sending me those images. I don't think John wants us to work out all of our time trying to work out, is it a 666 or is it a barcode? Here's John's main point as he writes this. He's saying this, Satan is furious with God. Satan is furious with all people. Satan is especially furious for the people who truly follow Jesus. Satan is influencing governing authorities in a multitude of ways to bring as much deception and destruction upon people to stop them from seeing Jesus and how great and glorious he is. That's what Satan is doing. So my encouragement is don't get tied up on numbers or tracking devices or whatever. That's not the main thrust here in this passage. The main thrust is be aware of what Satan is doing through governing authorities. Be aware of that. Right. There's a bit of stuff to think about. Let's think about what John's doing here with these seven churches as they read this chapter in chapter 3. What are they supposed to take away from this? How, how is this supposed to help them? 
Well, I think what John's doing this is he's building faithful endurance to persevere to the end, knowing and understanding the deceptions and the falseness of Satan and his schemes all around him. He's actually building an endurance with them to stand to the very end. Have a look at what John says here in verses 7 to 10. He says this, uh, the beast, he's talking about here, also it, the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, in other words, kill them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, or the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life, book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And then John says this, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is taken to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance... Here is a call for the endurance and for the faith of the saints. It's really powerful stuff what John writes right there. As you sit back and you think about what he's saying here about this deception and evil influence upon the world. John's saying, stand strong. John is saying, stand strong, people. He's saying there, some of you will be taken captive. Some of you will be taken captive, John says. Actually, he says, some of you will be killed by the sword. He's just being real about it. John's saying, don't roll over. John's saying, don't give up. John's saying, don't compromise. John's saying, don't lose sight of what Jesus has done for you and what he promises you. Don't do that. Don't roll over, don't compromise, don't lose sight. Now, now probably most of us here in Shepparton won't be taken captive or killed by the sword. I don't think that'll happen in Shepparton, at least today anyway, for for living for, for Jesus. But John still says the same thing. John still says, don't roll over, don't compromise, don't give in. Don't just roll over when these godless laws come in and the agenda that promises this empty, hollow peace that the government's saying, this is the way we need to go. John said, don't roll over in this. Well, how will I know what's true and what's false? When, when I know, how will I know when I've got to stand strong and not roll over? You may even be here today thinking, well, well I do recognise some of this stuff that's happening and I do see what the government's doing and I'm not sure about it. It does look wrong. It, it just, it's something doesn't quite add up with me. And even you might be here today thinking, I'm even aware of my own life and my own falseness that I think has absolutely separated me from God. How can I even deal with that, let alone think about these other things? I know in my own life I'm, I'm not right before God. Have a look in verse 8. It says there, Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Another... Uh, recollection there or appointed towards Christ, towards the gospel, the lamb who's rescued us, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, who makes us right before God by his death on the cross. That's the first thing we see here. The first thing we've got to get our eyes fixed on, that if we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, our name is written in that book of life, not the book of death, the book of life, because of what the lamb has done for us, what Christ has done for us.
And then here's our call from that point of salvation of putting our faith and trust in Christ alone. That we've been saved by Jesus, now we walk closely with him for the remainder of our lives. And that we allow the light of his truth to, as it were, to expose the falseness of Satan's influence upon this world and even trying to influence our own lives throughout this world. Looking to the lamb that was slain and walking closely with him day by day, moment by moment. Look again what Jesus says here in John's Gospel. He says this, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we discern or understand what we are seeing, whether it's false or deceptive? Well, we keep ourselves in the truth of Christ. What does Jesus say there? I am the truth. I keep myself in the truth of Christ and the gospel. How do we understand if if the governing authorities around us are leading us down this godless pathway? Well, we measure everything up against God's word. Is this what God says? Is this the direction of God? Or is it not? And if it's not, well, then we've got something to measure it against. No, we're not going to go that way. I think about Revelation 13 today, and it does this for me as well as I think about what's happening in this chapter and thinking about these deceptions and this influence. And it's this, that we can trust in God's sovereignty. That all governing authorities who have abused their power under the influence of Satan, one day will be held to account for what they've done or what they've implemented or what they've carried out. They will be brought to an account. They may have caused suffering and death in a multitude of ways in their abuse of power. And we could probably, as I just listed some before, maybe some of those people have escaped justice because they've just cocooned themselves in their country. Well, they may escape justice here, but they will not escape uh, justice standing before a holy God in judgment. He will be uh, fully um, meeting out his justice at that time. If you think about God's sovereignty, it's, it's actually all through this passage as well, which is such a comforting thought. Look at these words here in verse 5. You'll see words like this. Was given a mouth. Talking about the beast here. Was allowed to exercise. Verse 7. Allowed to make war. Authority given it. Verse 14. Signs that it is allowed to work. Verse 15. It was allowed to give. Who's actually giving this allowance? Who's giving this permission? Who's actually giving the beast this ability to carry out those things? Only one person. God. Now, there's a mystery in that and why God's allowing that for his purposes only, but God, we see that he's the ultimate sovereign authority in the universe. He's allowing this for his own mysterious purposes. He's allowing these things to take place. Which also means that he holds this ultimate sovereign authority over Satan and mankind. So Satan can only do what God allows him to carry out and no further. That's comforting. God is still in control despite everything I can see unravelling around about me. And yes, government authorities will be held account for their, to an account for their evil deceptive plans. Revelation 13 does this for me as well. It builds my endurance. It builds my confidence. It builds my faith as I see what's happening here. I'm being prepared. Jesus isn't calling us here to lead a rebellion against the government. That's not what he's calling us to do. Because sometimes some of us want to jump in and just push and fight straight away 
But that's not the call from Revelation 13. We are called to lead a loving and discerning restoration of life shaped around Jesus Christ. And yes, that'll mean sometimes that we do need to say no to the government, but saying no in a really sensible manner that still upholds the truth of the gospel, but firmly upholds the truth of the gospel when we're challenged in those directions. What's happening? Satan's angry, seriously angry. He's working any way he can to wear you down, to crush you and to make you or I just simply give in, roll over, give up. That's what he's working on these people in the seven churches of Asia Minor. But today, through God's word and the spirit, he's strengthening us to stand strong. Let me finish here with this uh, verse from 1 Peter. It says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's his work, that's his purpose. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can come and uh, read this chapter. Uh, Lord, as we think through this, we see stuff here that seems really hard to understand and confusing perhaps in many ways. Uh, Lord, we see the way Satan is working through governing authorities and governing powers, influencing them, Lord, to carry out his deceptive plans of breaking down communities, crushing cultures, ultimately wanting to destroy ourselves and destroy our souls. Lord, we thank you today that you have enlightened us to understand what's happening. You've done this through your word, you've done this through your spirit, you've done this through the person of Jesus. So I pray that you'll give us discernment, you'll give us perception. Lord, you'll help us to build a foundation of your word in our hearts and our lives that Lord, we will know when something is wrong and we won't fall for it, Lord. No matter what it might cost us, even if it costs us all of our livelihood like it's going to cost some of these people, potentially here in the uh, in book of Revelation for these seven churches. God, we won't make a compromise. We will gladly give it all away to remain faithful to you. Let your word speak into our heart, I pray, Holy Spirit. Let it just grow us in Christ today as we think through that. Father, we ask that we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.